Drama on One. Sundays at 8pm. rta.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on One. You're listening to RTE Radio 1. Drama on One is a podcast as well. You'll find it at rte.ie forward slash drama on one. And of course, we're here on RTE Radio 1 every Sunday night. Shakespeare says that all the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. Jake's in As You Like It outlines the parts men play as they cycle through the seven stages and ages in their lives. Infancy, the whining schoolboy, the lover, the soldier, the justice, the lean and slippered pantaloon and eventually into second childishness. There may be a body of feminist scholarship to suggest that some men graduate slowly from stage one to stage two and progress no further. But perhaps that's a conversation for another day. Back in 2004, RTE Drama on One invited writers Aidan Matthews, Paula Meehan, Mannix Flynn, Patrick McCabe and John Banville to respond to the seven ages of man. We begin tonight with Maeve Binchy's take on infancy. Infancy tells the story of baby Finton, an infant savant who has early life communication issues. Starring Michael Murphy, Infancy is now introduced by Maeve Binchy. Well, when I was told about this idea of the seven ages of man, I was beginning to wonder which one I'd do myself. I thought maybe the older uh, age group, since that's the one I find myself in presently. And I was thinking about that, or maybe I would do this sort of schoolboy because I love uh, any kind of things about school children. But in fact, I wasn't given a choice. I was told infancy. That's what you're doing, Maeve, infancy. So um, I sat down to think about it. I, I often think the best thing is not to think too long and too hard about things. It only confuses your mind. And what was the first instinct that came to my mind was the fact that very often I think that those little babies with wise eyes and little wrinkled faces in prams and in cradles, that they've got much more intelligence than we think. And what are we always saying to them? We're saying goo and ga and isn't it a lovely baby wavy and all that. And in fact they might be twice as bright as we are and think that we're desperate Egypts making faces at them and jabbering our lips. So I decided to write about a baby who understood everything and uh, who would not only uh, be kind of vaguely understanding, but understood more than the people who were talking to him. And I thought to myself afterwards, well, that might be true, you know. We might all be very wise when we're born and we just get stupider as we get older. And uh, now it's done and now it's a, it's a play and I've, I've loved listening to it and I hope you'll enjoy it too. I can understand them perfectly. It's astounding that they can't understand me. Poor little Finton. I think he wants his bottle, they say. But I'm only trying to tell them that the sun is in my eyes. He must want a fresh He must want a fresh nappy. Finton needs a nappy wappy, they say. When I'm telling them that I have an ache in my neck and that I need a pillow. It's going to get better, apparently. They keep mentioning things like when I'm able to talk, so it seems that one day they will understand me. Wait until Finton knows words and sentences and everything, they say. 
Wait, but sure I know words and sentences, it's just they don't understand them. I know everything that's going on in their lives, while they actually know nothing about mine. I know that my mother is called Francesca, or Cesca to her friends. She is a lawyer and she works very hard in the office and at home, and she looks terrific because she's always getting new clothes. I have a brother and a sister who are very old and can't understand me either when I talk. They think I'm crying. Shut up, grizzling, Fintan, they say. This annoys me. I'm not grizzling. I'm talking. My brother is called Michael and he's at university studying English. You'd think he'd know how to speak it by now, but I don't think he works too hard. My sister is called Barbara and she's in her last year at school. She wants to go round the world for a year when she gets her leaving certificate, but my parents will have none of it. We have a very nice dog called Satellite, who lost one of his paws in some mystery accident and everyone in the house blames everyone else about it. Satellite can't talk properly. Well, at least I can't understand him and nobody else can either. I hear them saying, Satellite wants a walk when he barks or Satellite wants his dinner. Maybe the dog is just saying, Hello, that it's a good day. And he's like me, stuck in a world where nobody seems to hear anything. My father is called Sean. He works in a bank and has a long, sad face. He and my mother don't get on well. The love has gone out of their marriage. They had me as an afterthought, as a way to cement their marriage. They thought that when I came along they would get back all those early feelings from the time when they did love each other. I think they were wrong. Those feelings don't come back just because they had a cementing baby in the house. It takes more than that, I'd say. Much more. For one thing, they're too old to have had me. It was different when they had Michael and Barbara. They were younger then and had much more energy. You need energy with infants, apparently. Because we wake up at the wrong times for grown-ups. And young grown-ups can cope with this. Older, more tired grown-ups who don't love each other properly aren't able for it. And to get resentful. And they're so tired all the time. Things aren't going well in my father's bank and he's very anxious and takes all kinds of soothing medicine to stop his insides from being on fire. And my mother is fed up because she's meant to be doing her law work at home and it's not really working for her and she's very ratty about young, unimportant people who are getting places just because they're able to be in the office, which she isn't. And it's often very dull here with everyone waiting for me to say my first word, as if I hadn't said a million words that nobody has copped on to yet. And I wish I could tell them that none of it matters very much, really. What will happen will happen. Soon I'll be able to say something that their poor brains will understand, and then they'll all say how clever I am. Soon my father's bank will either get back on course or be exposed as corrupt, and my father will either escape or be sacked. There's not one thing he can do about it by worrying. And these low-grade, unimportant people in my mother's office, she should make them into friends, not enemies. She'll be back there in four years when I'm at play school. She needs allies, not rivals.
But when I try to tell her this, she says, Poor little, Poor little Finton, have we windies? Well, let's get rid of the windies, Finton, and juggles me about when I just want to be left alone. And my brother Michael should put his mind to his studies, because from what I can see about grown-ups, their brains go softer as they grow older, and it's only when they're reasonably young that they have any chance at all of learning anything and letting it sink in. And Barbara is mad to want to go off round the world with her dizzy friends. They're all bird brains, and something terrible would happen to them by day three. And if Satellite wants more sympathy and attention, as he seems to, then all he should do is lift his broken paw, and they'll all turn into custard hearts. So, I lie here thinking about them all. This family I'm part of, because I don't really know a lot of other people since I can't get out to meet them, and not many of them come in here to meet me. Often I, I get a bit bored and wish the day would soon come when they would understand me and I could tell them what things look like from down here in the cradle or the pram or wherever. Meanwhile, I just try to make sense of their lives. When I see you smile, it feels like I'm falling. It's not for anybody else to know. The way your face could light the bitter dark of every street in every not for anybody else to know for anybody else to know Cheska holds me a lot to her in a very suffocating way I'm so sorry Fenton she says over and over like I hadn't got it the first time she's sorry about something she never says what, but she's desperately sorry that it all didn't work. What didn't work? So much doesn't work around this place, she could be talking about anything. I thought for a while it was the heating. Sometimes it's like an oven. Then they open the windows to let the fresh air in and it's like a fridge. Or maybe it's the atmosphere. Everybody's very tense all the time. But why be sorry about that? Why not just change it? It's beyond me. Anybody else, anybody else to know. So I try to smile, because that always pleases them. Then Cheska says to me, Oh, poor little Finton, I think you're smiling, but it's only the wind, isn't it? They have a total obsession with my having wind, which is very unfair. I mean, they burp and fart away and nobody takes them up and shakes them and beats the back off them like they do with me. And nobody says, it's just wind, when they laugh or smile. Then, when Sean comes home from the bank late, he sometimes comes in to see me and he sits beside the cot. Oh, Jesus, Jesus Finton, another killer of a day, he'll say. And I try to look sympathetic, but all he sees is wind or a nappy pin stuck into me or something. 
don't ever join the bank, bank Vinton. And if, you have and if you have to, then do then be, do be a, a yes man, man and a no man, man and, don't and don't take any risks, risks. he'd advise me. Some evenings, after I had heard him and Cheska shouting at each other, he would give me further fatherly advice. Now listen here, Finton, if you remember nothing else, remember this. Don't ever marry. And if you have to marry, don't marry a career woman with notions. It is quite simply the worst option that exists. Michael doesn't talk to me much. He's too busy. He has a lot to do at college and very little of it connected with studying, I gather. But sometimes he babysits, as he calls it, so that Cheska and Sean can go out and fight in a restaurant instead of fighting at home. When he's doing this babysitting, he always asks his friends to come into my room and they smoke pot. The baby is so smelly anyway, they'll never detect it in his room, Michael explains, so that they all sit around and smoke and talk rubbish and, and none of them take any notice of me at all except to say how awful I am and how gross it was of Michael's parents to have me when they were so old. Barbara is a bit better. Not much, but a bit. She brings her friends in to look at me and sometimes they wonder why anyone would bother having a child. One of their schoolmates is expecting a child and she is getting a lot of attention which Barbara and her friends don't like. But then they come and they look at me and that seems to cheer them up. Imagine having to look after something like this all day and all night, Barbara says. And then they all sigh and shake their heads at the horror of it. Satellite isn't much company, but we have a fellow feeling for each other. He sleeps by the window in my room. And since he doesn't have fleas or anything, they leave him there. But it causes resentment. Of course he doesn't want to sleep with the big children. They nearly murdered him, my father Sean says. They didn't nearly murder him. They let go his lead when you were shouting so much you frightened them, Cheska says. I was shouting because you were picking poisonous mushrooms, Sean says. My brother and sister just sigh. It sounds like some picnic. I'm glad I wasn't around for it. Sometimes, Cheska brings me to the doctor. That's what she says at home. I'm taking Finton for a check-up today. But it's odd, because we don't go near Dr Murphy's surgery. We go to an apartment block. And then she leaves me with the porter there while she goes upstairs. I suppose Dr Murphy must have a flat there and she must go up and talk to him about me. The porter is a very nice man. His name is Deco. And he has red hair, he has three children of his own, and he tells me he wouldn't give one of them back. This alarms me a little, because you see, I didn't know you could give us back. Deco is great company. He tells me things, and he introduces me to other people who come in and out of the building. This is Finton, he would say. Finton's mother is calling on a friend upstairs, if you know what I mean. People did know what he meant, and would shake their heads and say... And I would try to explain and tell them that she was visiting Dr Murphy to ask him about me and my health. But of course none of them ever understood. If it came out as a cry to them, they got upset and said, Poor little thing. And if it came out as a gurgle, they got even more upset still and said, Poor innocent little thing. It was infuriating. And then Cheska, my mother told me that she was going to go totally screaming mad if she didn't go back to the office for at least one day a week. 
She had to keep her hand in, she said, and because she made all her phone calls in front of me, I realised that she was only going to the office for one half day a week, and the rest of the day she was spending with someone called Darling. And it wasn't my father, Sean. I didn't understand everything, but I did know that this was odd. You were only meant to have one, darling. I knew that. So, on the day that my mother Cheska was out at her office and visiting Darling, I had a lady come to mind me. She was called Ruby, and she worked part-time in my father Sean's bank. She was a funny shape, and she had very pointed bosoms. They looked like spinning tops that children played with sometimes. Michael, my brother, and his friends used to call her... Ruby Booby, which was a reference to her bosoms. My sister Barbara and her friends didn't like her. They said she was very obvious. The one thing you should never be was obvious, they told each other. Men didn't go for obvious. They were attracted enough to look, sure they were, but they ended up laughing at these kinds of women. Obvious was foolish. My father, Sean didn't laugh at Ruby though. When he came back from the bank, he would go with Ruby for a lie down in his bedroom and then he would sit and hold her hand in my room. You could see the garden from my room and when my mother Cheska's car lights came in, my father would go downstairs and Ruby would stay with me. Poor little Finton. Poor little Finton, Ruby often whispered to me. Haven't you haven't an idea of what's going on. As soon as you're old enough, your daddy is coming to live with me, and you can come and visit on Saturdays too. You'll, you'll like that, Fintan, and in time, I'll have little brothers and sisters for you to play with. It was bewildering. That's the only thing you could say about it. My brother Michael has a girlfriend now, and he was telling her how he was never going to get married because marriage simply didn't work. The girl seemed disappointed with this news. She said that her parents were very happy altogether. There must be the only couple left in Ireland who are then, Michael said, very grumpily. I also hear Barbara saying to her friends that her mother must have a fancy man. I mean, she gets her legs waxed and she has gorgeous new underwear at the back of her drawer. Barbara's friends nodded. This was proof, all right. Would she run off with him? One of them asked in excitement. She probably would, Barbara said, if it wasn't for this. She must have indicated me in the cot because they all looked at me with sour, resentful faces. I was the only reason that Cheska couldn't go off and have a good time, apparently. Without me, it could all have been sorted. I was very quiet after that. Too quiet. God, Barbara, is Finton dead? One of them asked. They examined me and found that I wasn't. Just as well, Barbara said, or you can be sure we'd have been blamed. Then, on the very same day as I realised I was standing in the way of people's happiness, Ruby Booby said something almost precisely similar to Sean, my father. How long will it take him to grow up, Sean? Tell me, how long must we wait? We don't have to wait until he's really grown up, my darling. Only grown up enough to know that I haven't gone away from him and that I'll always be there for him. 
And what age will that be? Ruby went on. Oh, darling, we don't know. It will depend on how he grows up, matures, you know. Like, when he's seven, six, what? I don't know, darling. My father stroked Ruby's pointy bosom, and then he tickled me under the chin. Oh, oh Fintan, Fintan, you funny little fellow. Funny little fellow. If, if you, you only knew how many problems, how many you, problems you cause. Ruby looked very put out. Her mouth got all droopy, and so my father had to kiss it better. I stayed still, so as not to annoy them, but not so still that they might think I was dead. It was all a bad situation, and totally, for some reason, entirely my fault. But how could I sort it out? How could I tell them? They can't even understand one word I say. So how can I explain that I'd be perfectly happy for them all to go off now, rather than waiting for the day to come when they understand what I say? I'm easy with them arranging to divide me between the two of them going from one to the other. It seems by far the best way when you think of it. I'd love them to know what I'm saying. Michael doesn't care what they do, and Barbara is not going to be pleased by anything they do or don't do, and as long as someone gives Satellite his dinner and takes him for a walk, he doesn't care. And I, who am the nicest of them all, want them to be happy. And I'll just go wherever I'm put. Then I don't have to lie here day after day hearing that it's all my fault. It will have to be done by screams. That's all they can hear. What I must do is work out when to scream to the best advantage. I practised a good scream on the way to Dr Murphy's second surgery with Cheska, my mother. She looked at me very alarmed. Oh God, Fintan, don't go and get sick on me now, of all times, she begged. Then I might really really have to go to the doctor. I couldn't understand it at all. Weren't we on the way to the doctor? Why else did we come to this place? I wished I could get Deco to understand the setup. He was so nice and friendly, but as deaf and confused as the rest of them. It was really so frustrating. One of his friends came in, and they were talking. I knew they were talking about me because of the glances at the pram, so I closed my eyes, strained to listen. The mother is upstairs in number 37, as usual, with her fancy man. Poor little devil here has to wait until the fun's over. Imagine... She wasn't talking about me to Dr Murphy at all. It was so unfair of her. I gave a great series of loud screams, huge screams, and poor Deco panicked and he telephoned number 37. He said he was very sorry to disturb them but that Finton had taken some kind of a seizure and my mother appeared eventually very flustered with a totally strange man and I thought I'd better keep up the screams so that Deco wouldn't be blamed for disturbing them unnecessarily. The totally strange man seemed friendly. I could live with him if that's what the future held. His poor little face is very red, Cheska. We'd better take him to the doctor, he said. I didn't intend you to meet him yet, Douglas. Not till... Not till he was older, my mother said. So, my new stepfather was to be called Douglas. I stretched out my hand to him and I held his finger tightly. He seemed delighted. Ah, he's a lovely lovely little lad. lad. Look, Look, he's bonding with me. me. Douglas was beaming at me like an idiot. Yes, well, he's not old enough to bond, my mother said. And his father hasn't a clue. 
If only he would step out of line, then we'd be right as rain. So I had to try and tell them about my father's interest in Ruby Booby and her pointed bosoms and how she too was counting the years until I was old enough and how actually I am old enough already if they could only understand it. But how could I do it? The next time that my mother had gone out to work, which I now knew meant spending half the day with Douglas, Ruby was minding me and then she and my father went for their lie down. His mobile was beside me and I knew that he pressed just a number one to get my mother, so I pressed it. And when she answered, I screamed and screamed. My father didn't hear me because he and Ruby had the door closed when they were lying down, you see. So my mother came home and they didn't hear her car and I had stopped screaming by then and my mother Cheska had brought Douglas with her to give her courage in case someone was murdering me or something and she found my father Sean having a lie down with Ruby in what Cheska kept calling my bed and it all got very excited and there was a lot of shouting and people asking who was Douglas and what did Ruby think she was doing in Cheska's bed and everyone said they would have to talk it all through which they did And Michael and Barbara, they pretended to be very upset, but of course they weren't at all. They were putting it on so that everyone would give them presents. And I was going to live with Douglas and my mother in the block of flats where Douglas lived. Which was just fine with me because I really liked Deco downstairs. But I was sick of lying in my pram in the lobby. And they couldn't have a dog there. So Satellite was going to live with Ruby and my father in her place. And they would sell the house and everything was fine. And the only thing they never understood was how my mother knew to come home. And when she said that she had got a telephone call with a baby screaming on it, they knew this was madness. It had to be. I wasn't screaming when they came home. And anyway, how could an infant use a cell phone? That was Infancy by Maeve Binchy. Michael Murphy played Finton. Catherine Brennan was Francesca. And Daniel Reardon played Sean. Sound supervision was by Mark McGrath. And Infancy by Maeve Binchy was produced by Liam O'Brien. Next week we'll have Aidan Matthews' take on The Whining Schoolboy. Drama on One. Sundays at 8pm. rta.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on One.